All right. Welcome to the Ship's Log. This is episode number one with our guest, our very first guest, Captain Nemo. We'll call him Captain Nemo for today. Uh, definitely don't want to use his real name because I want him to be able to tell all of his sea stories without a filter on. So we're sitting here drinking some coffee and some Irish whiskey. Well, I don't know if you're going to get all the unfiltered stories. I, you know, My family knows I'm doing this, so I might have to hold some of the more unsavory ones back. But eh, that's you, you, you can pretty much fill in the gaps there on uh, <laughs> all right, shenanigans. Well, fair enough. How many years have I known you? Oh, I don't know. A long time. long time. Cool. Well, we'll start from there. So, uh, Captain Nemo, tell me a sea story. Let's Actually, let's, let's start where um, sea stories begin. What is a sea story? Oh, well, you know, a good sea story, it, you don't really know if it's true or not. I mean, it's, it's a guy's accounting of something that occurred, uh, whether it be in the middle of the ocean or another country or, you know, even just in the dead, the bowels of the ship, uh, you know, it, it may seem unbelievable. It may seem far-fetched, or maybe it's just a, a funny story. They sort of, they range the spectrum. Uh, but any, does, it, does it matter if it's true? No, no. And you don't ask, you don't ask if it's true because that takes away the, the point of a sea story is entertainment. That's right. You're bored, you know, especially, uh, in the years past, because you didn't have internet, you know, some, some ships have internet now. Right. I worked on some ships with internet and then, you know, you, like a brat, you don't, you don't talk, uh, to your coworkers as much. Yeah. I mean, you're not it's, supposed it's, to be playing on your phone or your laptop while you're on the bridge of a ship anyways. It's against but, the law. But in the years past, you know, it's the middle of the night. It's, you know, an officer and a you know an unlicensed watchstander looking out a window driving across the middle of the ocean. You have nothing to do. You have to stay away. Coffee only takes you so far. That's on uh, like a big merchant vessel. For and um, you know you talk. I, you, eventually you drill down into the you know the the best sea stories and you hear them and the good ones you want to hear three or four times and you know a a truly good sea story is one that you repeat to other people. And it's not even your story. You just talk about the guy you worked with who told you this crazy sea story. That's, you know, so that that's when you know you have a good sea story is when other people start passing it along like tribal stories. Yeah, uh, when I was an apprentice, my very first time going to sea, I was on a grain ship and I don't know, we were bored doing something and we were over in the Middle East and a guy told me a sea story. I guess he was trying to scare me from fooling around with my girlfriend at the time. He told me a story about a guy who was in a foreign port and cheated on his wife and got the clap or something like that and felt so guilty about it that he ran out on deck, chopped his dick off, and threw it on the dock, and some dogs ate it down on the dock. Now, clearly, that, now that I'm an adult, I realize that is a bunch of bullshit, but made for a good sea story. That was my first sea story that I heard. Well, I don't have any quite that entertaining, but... uh no, no mermaids, no uh, made-up sea creatures. So first of all, I want to I want to talk about something that <clears throat> I read in the news today. Uh, today is what is today? December thirtieth. Last day of twenty nineteen. Thirty first, December thirty first. Yeah, last day of twenty nineteen. Okay, and I heard, I read rather, 
that there was a Sandy Hook pilot that fell to his death while boarding a ship, the Mersk Sentosa. Uh, don't want to talk a whole lot about it. Don't really know a whole lot about it, but I thought that was pretty sad. And uh, I wanted to formally put out my condolences to the airwaves well, for that guy's family. That's sad. You know, so Harbor Pilots is something that anybody in the maritime industry is familiar with. They're the guys who uh, have have the cush dream job of the industry. They get to, you know, live at home and they, they sort of work uh, more regular hours. And uh, so one of the things they do is they're, they're climbing up a ladder either on or off of the ship. So, you know, the ship comes in, they climb up onto the ship and steer it in. And when it's time for the ship to leave, they come on board, drive it out to sea, and then they get off. They have to climb down a ladder. So, you know, I, I, I would guess the guy, either the ladder broke or it was bad weather, the guy fell off. You, you fall into the water, and then what makes it quite, you know, it's it, obviously you just fell next to a ship while it's moving. It's very dangerous, but, you know, there's the boat he was trying to get onto. So, I mean, there's the danger of getting smashed and uh, run over by that boat. And, I mean, that is like... As bad as it gets for, you know, uh, that situation. That's horrible. I'm sure more details will come out. The Coast Guard will investigate. But, I mean, that's just, you hate to hear that. Mm-hmm. That's But that's that what that's what makes being a harbor pilot so dangerous, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, there is a lot of danger to that right. job. Um, it's a lot of prestige, a lot of money. But they definitely have a dangerous job. And it can be stressful at times, from what I understand. Hmm. Well, now... Uh, Tell me a little bit about, or tell the podcast world, rather, a little bit about yourself. What are your credentials? What makes you qualified to tell a sea story today? (laughs) Well, I've been sailing for uh, over over a decade now. I I started out as a uh, a spry 18-year-old, I guess, was when I caught my very first ship, and... um, you know, I, I knew very little. I was going to a school, a college that specialized in it. Uh, I, I went to Kings Point, which is a, it's like a federal uh, service academy that specializes in uh, the maritime industry. You you leave there either as a uh, a licensed deck officer, or a licensed uh, engine room officer, and uh, so I was a deck officer, uh, and so I, I caught my first ship as what they call a cadet. Uh, I, when I was 18, pretty much I, I finished my first year of school, um, and then I went straight to sea. And I, I mean, whew, I, I knew very little going into it, and it, uh, it sort of it rocks your world the first time you join a ship. I mean, you can only be so prepared. I grew up, my family did it. Um, you know, I, I come from a, a, a long family tradition of sailors. You know, my, my great-grandfather uh, was a sailor, my grandfather, my father... Uh, my brother's a sailor. Um, so, so I, I, I went into that and then, um, you know, I, I worked my way up through the ranks. I worked my way up to, um, what's called an unlimited master of oceans. Uh, that means I can be the captain on any ship, no matter what size, big or small aircraft carrier. If it wasn't, uh, you know, the Navy, you know, the size You're not fucking is fine. qualified to drive an aircraft but, uh, carrier, sir. You know, any, any, anything. Container ships, tankers, it doesn't matter. Uh, anywhere in the world. Across the oceans, I'm not limited by, I have no limitations. Which is, you know, they call it the big ticket. It's as big as it gets. It's, so I can work on smaller stuff, uh, but it doesn't go the other way. If you have a, a restricted license, you can't work on, you know, the big stuff. So 
I worked my way up to an unlimited master. I sailed uh, uh, as the equivalent of a chief mate for uh, three three years or so. Um, the company I worked for called it uh, a, a night captain. It was a high profile operation. Night captain. So I, yeah, I was a night captain, but it was you know it was the equivalent of a chief mate, which is like a first officer. It's it's below the the captain. And uh, I got my sea time, and uh, I'm still working in the maritime industry. Okay, well, cool. Yeah, I still remember dropping you off at your first ship, the Noble Star. Is that even a ship anymore? Uh, it is razor blades. They, uh, it was, it was ready to be razor blades when I got on it, and uh, somehow I survived without getting tetanus or sinking, and uh, it lasted. Handful of years after I, I left that ship, and then they ran it into the mud over in India and chopped it up into razor blades. It was a piece of shit when I first saw it, and it was a piece of shit when I last saw it. <laughs> it uh, that was my my very first ship. Sure enough, eighteen years old, and uh, you know that that's part of you know it's part of the training process, right? Sort of trial by fire. You. You get thrown into it and you learn quick. And that ship was a, a wonderful learning experience. I, I'm very thankful for the way that you know my career sort of developed, which was I started out on old shitty things and progressively worked my way up to nicer and nicer. Um, with the small caveat of you know later in my career, I, I changed directions in my career and took a step down and started the process over. But took a know, step down. What are you trying to say? Well, yeah, smaller. You know, I'm, I went to tugboats, and uh, you know, I what kind of tugboats had to, had to start a, on the that's a broad the shitty, the old shitty tugboats all over again. Broad term. What kind of but tugboat? no, no, it's uh, the the Noble Star. It's the Noble Star. So you said you dropped me off, and um, so I I I got dropped off uh, at the ship, and I, I had a sea partner. It's it's important to keep in mind during the cadet process. You have a uh, you know, you have a partner, and so I was a deck cadet, he was an engine cadet, and uh, he, you know, he's my best friend, but I mean, you truly become like brothers when you spend, you know, a year's worth of time together in the middle of the ocean. Uh, so, so here we are with our, our sea bags, and we're standing up, uh, stare, staring up rather at, you know, this tall gangway, which is, it's like a steep metal ladder that they drop over the side of the ship so people can come on and off. And, uh, so, you know, I'd never been up a gangway before, so I just started up the gangway and got to the top of the gangway, and, uh, I remember there was a, a man standing there, and, uh, you know, he, he looked like he was important, so we introduced ourselves, and, uh, he proceeded to not speak English and to just point up, and, uh, you know, I... Who was a guy? I don't know, he's, uh, some, uh... Some like longshoremen that they, you know, they paid to do gangway watch back then. And uh, so anyways, we, we walked into the ship and, you know, it, it seems like it's simple. It's simple once you've been on the ship for a little while. But I mean, the first time you're on a ship, I, you don't you don't know where the hell to go. You don't know if you go up or down. You know, there's there's doors, there's open doors, closed doors. There's, you know, weather type doors that have like six levers that you got to open. And it's, you know, so we sort of wandered around and, uh. I think finally it was the captain or the, the chief mate, you know, saw us and saw we were clearly confused. And uh, <laughs> finally we got a little bit of direction, you know, they broke us into shape real quick. Uh, 
that ship wasn't terrible because we got our. What do you mean rooms. they broke you into shape real quick? Well, you know, he's show you the ropes. They give you a little safety orientation, and then they put you to work. This ship, especially, they worked the shit out of me. So the thing about being a cadet is, since you're technically like a a student or something, uh, for some reason, minimum wage doesn't apply to you. So they they paid they can me do whatever they want. They paid me. It was like uh, twenty five dollars a day. And, and no no restrictions on how much you can work me. You know, a, a, a captain that has a little bit of a heart may only work you, you know, 12 hours a day. But, uh... Oh, you want me to call the ambulance? Not on, uh, not on the Noble Star. So they, they quickly uh, put me to work. And I was, you know, I, I was doing, like, chipping and painting right from the get-go. And I remember, you know, it's... No, nobody tells you that, you know, hey, nobody's going to come get you for lunch. It's, you know, 12 o'clock, knock off for lunch. I mean, it seems silly... But this is how little I knew. So I worked all the way through lunch. And, uh, you know, no, nobody, nobody, it's it's up to you. So here I am and I'm starving. And finally I saw the chief mate at like 3 o'clock and I asked him if I could have lunch. And he was confused. You know, what are you, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, I never had lunch. He said, why why wouldn't you have lunch? You know, it's... <laughs> so I remember my first time, actually it was uh, my second ship I was ever on, the SS Blue Ridge, the bosun. Your bosun is a guy. He's like the the top unlicensed guy. He's kind of a liaison between the officers on a, a U.S. merchant ship and the unlicensed guys, and it kind of tells you what to do if you're unlicensed in, in the deck department. He said, "Son, I want you to needle gun all this over here. Just needle gun all this." Well, I took that to heart, and I sat down with this goddamn needle gun, and I picked out a big fucking square and just started needle gunning. I needle gunned all goddamn day, and I got a big patch of paint taken off the metal. I thought I was doing such a good job, and that bosun came over to me at the end of the day. He was like, what the fuck are you doing, son? I told you to needle gun the rust, not the good paint. You don't take the good paint off. I said, I'm sorry, bosun. Nobody ever told me that. So I definitely know what you're talking about. But. So the the story of the Death Star, why they call it the Death so, Star. Yeah, tell me about this ship, the Noble so, Star. So they called it the Death Star. So it was, um, it was old. It was, it was building like the early seventies, and uh, it was, it was a break bulk ship. And what that means is, uh, it's, it's the type of cargo it does. So it's like when you think of old timey ships and port, you know, you think of this thing. It has the, the yard and stays. You know, the old timey. You know, before they used cranes, they had yard and stays which is like one metal rod sticks over the side and one metal rod's, you know, where you want the cargo to go and the wires travel between them. And so it had uh, sticks. It had this this giant thing in the middle they called a, uh, a king post that was for lifting like really heavy things mm-hmm. like school buses or what, you know. Do you know and when it, the kill did, was laid? I don't know, early 70s. And uh, it did uh, what they call break bulk cargo, which means all sorts, you know, when I was on it, we carried grain and uh, U.S. food aid over to to Africa. But I mean, they did, you know, semi trucks, containers, uh, you name it. They they would do it. That that's the point of this ship is it can sort of carry anything. And so, as part of that, they had these big cargo holds. And so they they would open up. You know, you hook you hook one of the cranes up to this wire, and you pull on this wire, and it folds up this massive hatch. And then down in the holds, uh, it would have, they call them tween decks, which is like, uh, you know, deals of metal you can fold out and make, you know, more efficient space inside. But with all of those open, it went all the way down, uh, I don't know, 
a long ways, 30, 40 feet, just a straight drop. And um, there was this, uh, so each hold was one big hold, but it had two hatch covers. And there was a little catwalk in between them. And so when you had both hatch covers open, it was kind of kind of sketchy, you know, because you'd be walking in between them in one misstep and you fall all the way down. Anyway, so that's this ship, this break bulk ship. So I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I'm in the middle of the ocean. I've been on it for a while now. I've been on it for a month or two months. And uh, we're, we're sitting in the mess room. And we're sitting in the mess room. And they had my sea partner and I, the cadets, at like a kid's table. I think because they thought it was funny. But I, I, I'll never forget that. Well, you, we were, you just got done saying you didn't know anything. We, we were eating at like a kid's table. And all the officers are sitting around their table. And uh, I don't know, the, their conversation came to a standstill one day. They're bored, no internet. They've been in the middle of the ocean for months. They ran out of their own sea stories. So the captain decides to start messing with the cadets. But, you know, he's not making up bullshit stories. It's a real story. We just didn't know it. So the captain looks at me. Captain Besher was his name. Never forget the guy. Went to the same school I went to, but much older. And, oh, crotchety, grouchy guy. Fair, but, you know, an asshole. Uh, and he, he turns, he stops eating his food and he looks at me and he goes, Hey boy, you know why they call this thing the Death Star? And I said, no. And he said, well, let me tell you the story. And he said, it's because 12 or 13 people have died on here, which is a lot. You know, maybe a couple people will die on a ship, you know, a a captain has a heart attack, uh, you know. A guy, you know, some sort of, uh, it was like 12 or 13 people. And he proceeded to tell the story of all these people dying. And it, you know, it, it wasn't all just, you know, oh, Joe Schmo got hit by a grinder in the middle of the ocean. No, there was like murder. There was, you know, horrible stories. And so uh, one of them talking about those hatches, it was a, a second officer was doing cargo inspections and misstep. He tripped, and guess what? He fell. Ooh, 30 feet. He fell feet down in the cargo hold? To his death. So that was one of them. Uh, Got in the ocean? or it... No, I think it was in port. You know, typically they kept those things closed in the Damn. middle. Um, a couple were like crane accidents. The uh, You know, they were down below, and the hook smashed a guy and, you know, killed him. Uh, a, 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 quite a number of those were stowaways. Uh, like, I think he said African stowaways. And he, he told this one story of how they were in the middle of the ocean and, you know, they you do lots of stowaway inspections before you leave, but apparently this stowaway did a really good job. He had some friends bolt him into one of these ventilation shafts and I guess didn't realize it was going to be, a, you know, a month's voyage or something. And so... Bolted him in the shaft? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was in there, you know, and... So he ran out of whatever he had, his food and his water, and he, you know, he starts trying to get out. But this is like a metal enclosure deal, and uh, I guess he he tried to get out enough to where you could tell from the outside Mm. something was amiss. But by the time they found, you know, the guy uh, or two, it was one or two stowaways. They were they were dead. Uh, Mm. And then uh, so there was a stack fire. They had some guys. cleaning and the the stack which is you know where the exhaust fumes come out and all that and um 
uh, a fire happened and it was like five or six guys burned alive. And uh, so the the creme de la creme of the Noble uh, Star death stories, though, was uh, the the murder that happened. So it was um, a pipe fitter and his wife were on board and there was a third pipe fitter. Why would they let his wife on board? I don't know. I don't know. But um, so they were on board and... As things go, when you're in the middle of the ocean for months at a time, uh, a, a love tryst happened between the wife and one of the other men, and the husband found out mm. about it, and without letting anything on, in the middle of the night, came in with a big old, I think it was a, a like monkey's wrench, mm-hmm. one of the big ones, yeah. big heavy, and, and murdered them in their cabins. Both of them? Yeah. Yeah. He, Killed his wife too? Yep. Yeah. And so there was, you know, he murdered two people. And then it's I can't up, I can't remember yeah either they they detained him until they got to port or um, he killed himself one or the other but moral of the story don't bring your spouse to sea but yeah I mean it was wild so he, he tells he you know and he lays out each one you know because he knew the whole details he had been the captain on this ship for a long time and he knew them all and you know I'm just sitting there j- j- jaw open you know it's thinking about all these potential like ghosts roaming the you know mm. roaming the ship here I am you know in this dingy old cabin you know just one am I am I in the room where it happened you know and uh that's <laughs> that's how that ship I believe some ships are the haunted Death Star. I think it's different than you know haunting on land but I definitely think some ships can be haunted did you ever see anything weird on there um no not not particularly no um uh, nothing weird, uh, you know. The the only we we lost our engine one time in the middle of the ocean, which was strange. We were dead and floating for y'all were dead in the water. Yeah, for like a day's time. You know why the the engineers tried to fix it? Was it good weather? Um, it wasn't terrible. I mean, it was it was not pleasant, but like it, could that was a, it could have been a lot worse. Um, but the funniest story I have from from the Death Star. It, it ties into you know not not knowing the tricks the tricks people play right there's there's a couple famous tricks that people play on the new guys and um you know if if you've been a sailor you know how ridiculous the trick is but to a new guy hey, it seems kind of plausible you know is go get a bucket of steam you know or uh, <laughs> go find the golden rivet you know you tell the story of when they lay the keel of the ship they the first rivet is a golden rivet you know and they go find where they put it you know those sort of things tune the radar um tune the radar yeah i've heard that so so the trick uh this guy played on me is i had never seen a flying fish before Mm-hmm. So no bullshit. There really is flying fish, and you don't see them until you get in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. But it's fish, and they have wings, and they literally fly. And I, I remember we were in the middle of the ocean, the middle of the Atlantic, the North Atlantic, and like way too far for birds. You get out far enough, and there's no birds. And um, so I remember I was I was you know maybe a little delusional, but staring at the water, and I kept seeing something like flying right above the surface of the water, and then it would disappear, and I just stood and was watching as I was convinced it was like a bird you know but I I just couldn't I couldn't see where they were going Mm. and so eventually one of these things flew up on the deck and uh I here I am I'm looking at this like nine inch long little fish and it has wings and I'm just like puzzled in amazement and about this time the officer walks up and he, he goes oh man that's that's a good one get it 
And I, I kind of looked and I was like, yeah, this guy's pulling my leg. And he goes, no, 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 really. The, the cook was telling me, you know, if any come up on deck, go bring them to him and he'll cook them up. They're, they're good. It's good, good eating. And, um, so, so I, I sort of stand there for a second. I'm like, I don't know. It, it seemed, it seemed plausible. And so I was, okay, sure. And so I, I, I pick up this fish and I'm holding it by the tail and it's dangling you know, mm. like like you would hold a you know a, a something you found on the side of the road, and I, I walk to the the back of the the house, which there's an entrance to the the uh, galley, which is the kitchen, and I I knock on the door, and the chef, this uh, older black gentleman, opens up, and he goes, "What?" And I say, uh, "You know, the the second mate told me to uh, <laughs> to bring this to you," and he he sort of laughs, and he goes, "What the hell are you talking about, boy?" And and uh, I said, "He said, you know, you told him if any." fly on deck uh to bring it to you and he 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 started just dying laughing he said get that fucking thing out of here he said you idiot and he just sort of <laughs> shut the door in my face and then i realized i had you know hey, they played a trick on me but it was funny you know that's it is that's one funny. of the stories I, I you know tell on a regular basis mm. i wasn't too stupid to believe that uh let's see here uh tell me about what you did after you worked on the death star Oh, after the Death Star, um, I think I caught another ship again as a cadet. Uh, it was um, a car carrier. Um, well, let me back that up real quick. Tell me the story about you going to Africa. Was that on the Noble Star? Yeah, that was on the Noble. So on on the Noble Star, we I said we were carrying the U.S. Food Aid, which is like a government program where we, you know, we pay uh, we U.S. food. We pay U.S. ships to carry this food over to impoverished nations and, mm-hmm. and we give it to them mm-hmm. and uh you know i had never encountered that before i i was young at this point i didn't really know anything about the program uh but so that's what we were doing so we loaded up in uh, houston we loaded more in lake charles and then we sealed up the hatches and we drove across to africa hmm. yeah i don't think that people here in the states most people uh, some people realize this but i think a lot of people have no fucking clue how valuable our food is here. I mean, we've got so much food here in the United States that, you know, people have a problem with obesity, you know, as a nation. And other places, they just don't have that problem. There's there's simply not enough food to support, you know, everybody having a full belly. And I think that can't be overlooked. And I, in my opinion, I think the food uh, programs are so important, Aid for Food or Food for Aid, whatever it is. Very, very important programs to keep alive. So we um, we drove over to Africa, to West Africa specifically, um, which you know what country? Um, we our first stop was Togo. Uh, I thought that was made up. I did not know there was a, a real country called Togo. Um, it's a small country. It's right by um, Ghana. Um, so Togo. Then we went to Benin, uh, and then we skipped Nigeria because uh, I guess Nigeria is one of the wealthier countries on West Africa, even though it's still a shithole. Uh, and we went to uh, Cameroon. And so my favorite of those was in Benin. In Benin, um, in each of these places, we stayed for you know a couple weeks. Um, but in Benin, I met a guy, uh, Abu was his name. And Abu, you know, sort of, he, I don't know, he worked the docks, he took sailors out, showed him a good time, you know, mm-hmm. he, he knew what they were looking for and, you know, that's how he made his living. 
But anyways, he was about my age and, uh, you know, he, he had a moped and, you know, we hung out when I was there and I got to know him pretty well. And so eventually he took me, introduced me to his family and I went and I played, uh, some soccer with, you know, him on his team and, you know, it was fun in, in his little village. We went way up in the mountains, right? Not in the mountains. It was just like into the city, you know, it, it was cool okay. though. I mean, it was eye opening because you, the whole place was impoverished, but like once you got, you know, past the little bit there was in the sort of port area, I mean, it was really impoverished. Um, and as me, uh, you know, a, a young middle-class kid from the suburbs, uh, I had never seen anything like this, you know, I mean, this is, I'm here, I am 18, 19 years old. And I'm, you know, I'm having this experience, you know, and this isn't me uh, going on some mission trip or something like that. This is, you know, this is a real experience that this career provided me. And it was, uh, it was like eye opening and, you know, rewarding. And it was really cool. I got to meet this guy's whole family. And, uh, you know, that's something I remember to this day. That was, you know, the highlight of that trip for sure. Yeah, I definitely think it's cool getting to go to other places in the world and see other cultures and getting to uh, familiarize yourself with their points of view and how they live. And, you know, th these are things that we're just, you can't even imagine growing up here in the States, for sure. So after that, uh, you went to work on a car carrier? Yeah, it was like a car carrier. Uh, um, I don't know. I say, you know, if you don't know what a car carrier is, it's like a giant floating shoebox that, you know, it's like a shoebox that is a parking garage. Yeah, that's an excellent description. I've always thought those things look like fucking shoeboxes. <clears throat> and it has a big ramp, you know, that you literally drops down and you just drive cars on and off, you know, and it's a parking garage and you take them, that's how all the new cars are delivered. That's how your, uh, your Mercedes used to be delivered before they built it here in America. That's how all the foreign jobs are delivered. All the, uh, the Kias and the Souls and the cars built over in, uh, uh, South uh, Korea. Anywhere that's not here, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about that. But, um, so it, it was it was interesting. Um, from, uh, I'll remember, so that captain had me, he would have me, like, work half the day with the unlicensed guys. And on that car, or on that ship, you know, one of the things you did, um, instead of, like, just chipping and painting and that sort of thing, is every day you had to walk around and check the lashings on the vehicles. And so you had to make sure that, you know, they were still tight, you know, give it a few clicks uh, if it needed to be tightened up some. And so we'd do that. And there was like uh, 13 decks of cars. I mean, I'm talking about a 800-foot-long ship, mm -hmm. you know, 150-foot wide. And there's like, I don't know, 13 of these decks. And so you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of straps to check. And this one guy I worked with, he was an AB named Benny. And Benny wasn't always a, a sailor. Before Benny was a sailor... Benny worked for uh, the marijuana growers out in California. And I'll never forget, one day Benny started telling me a story. This is before it was legal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this is, you know, highly illegal. He's working for, you know, whoever the drug cartels are. And so old Benny talks about how they, they have this, like, marijuana forest in the middle of nowhere a marijuana the woods. Forest. And um, when it gets close to harvesting time... You have to be out there constantly so nobody steals your crop. And so he was one of the armed guards. Are we talking guards. about like kids from the neighborhood stealing your shit? Or no, no. This is, like, this is like, yeah, cartel stuff. And so Benny was a hired gun. And so he was talking about how for days on end, he would walk around these fields with like an AK-47 in the middle of nowhere. You know, this guy, this sort of strung out looking hillbilly dude. 
is walking around this marijuana forest with an AK-47. Nobody else around, you know. And, uh, well, how do you stay awake for days on end? Crystal meth. So (laughs) Benny proceeds to tell me about how he would get strung out on crystal meth walking around this marijuana forest with an AK-47. And that should uh, keep anybody away <laughs> for days on end. Yeah. So I, I, there comes a point where he's, he's been awake too long and he doesn't know if, you know, he starts hearing things and he doesn't know if it, they're for real. He's startled, you know, is it real? Well, it turns out he was hearing just stuff in his head because before too long, those sounds turned into like, uh, cars honking their horns. And it, he, he said it was like he was in the middle of, uh, you know, Times Square, so holy and shit! And he said he was like, he and this just guy's got an AK just yeah. walking around the woods. And, and that's that's that was the last straw for him. He was like, this is you know, this is not okay. At least and, he uh, was sensible enough to get away from that. Type of thing. <laughs> God yeah, damn. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, so that that was Benny's story, which that was that was you know, again, I'm I'm just this kid from suburbia. I've never experienced anything like this. This is like you know, ex totally expanding my mind on the things that occur in the world. Yeah, I mean there you know, seafarers in general are a hodgepodge of people from every walk of life you can imagine. It's some of the most interesting people I mean that's why we're doing this podcast. Some of the most interesting people I've ever met are just random sailors, you know. Officers, unlicensed, you you name it. Just you never know what kind of crazy shit you're gonna hear from people. That I mean it makes it more interesting to me that that's that guy's story, and you know you're hearing it from him. You're out at sea. That's just that's wild. So, so you do anything else cool on that? You got any other sea stories from this? Uh, what was the name of the ship? That was the Liberty Pride. Liberty Pride. It was I actually I was on um I think I was on the maiden voyage that one. It really? Was, it was like yeah, it was it was pretty new when I got on there, um, which you know which was nice. It was a total change of pace from. Um, you know, the noble star. Yeah. I, I absolute change of pace. I mean, the rooms were clean. They didn't have, you know, 30 years of grime just built into the walls. Mm. Um, that's disgusting. That was nice. I So that's where I learned how to play ping pong. Uh, turns out sailors play a lot of ping pong. Uh, I remember you most, came back from that ship and you were a ping pong playing motherfucker. So, so most ships have ping pong tables and that's like one of the big things crew members do, you know, and you're coffee breaks and after dinner you know guys play ping pong it gets pretty competitive and on that one particular ship uh we had captain balaminos and captain balaminos was a real ping pong player motherfucker and uh every sunday he he would have like a whole barbecue and ping pong uh fiesta you know and he forced (laughs) everybody to play he would blare uh, that song Kung Fu Fighting, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's Kung Fu Fight. He would blare it so loud on the inside of, you know, the the house, yeah, that it would force everybody outside to the barbecue, even the people that didn't want to go, and uh, we barbecue and ping pong and play basketball. It had a basketball court on it too. Which, Damn, dude. Yeah, the car carrier sounds like a nice ship. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I you saw, didn't go to any cool ports. Oh, we went to the Middle East. Uh, it was like military cargo to the Middle East, carrying tanks and uh, Hummers and helicopters over to the Middle East, which was, you know, it was interesting. But you know, if there's one thing I learned about the Middle East is that they can have it. That <laughs> I don't ever need to go back there. It's mm. you know not for me. I, I I hear that it's hot as fuck. It was yeah, it was really really hot. You know, um, I, when I was in the Middle East. 
I thought it was a fascinating place. I, I went to Jordan, and uh, I, I thought that country was just awesome, filled with history. It was just really cool. Uh, I, I, I got to go to the ancient city of Petra while I was there. You talk about history. You know, we don't have that kind of history here. Thousands upon thousands of years of interesting stories there that can be told. But, okay. So, so I'll tell you, um, talking about being in the middle of the ocean and stuff. So, something people, you know, to start off, for someone who doesn't know, it, when, when you're on a ship and you're a sailor, you don't get to go home at night. You live on the ship. Um, or tugboats. Same thing on tugboats. You go to work for a week. You live on the tugboat. You don't get to go home at night, uh, at least in most situations. Um, a lot of people don't. I get asked that question a lot. You know, it's no. You live on board. You you eat on board. You sleep on board. You work on board. You're trapped. It's it's basically like prison, where they pay you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I mean, that's something to keep in mind. So my sea partner, I mentioned him, Andy. Um, we we had been together for months, and so. We, we'd been in the middle of the ocean for months, and on this particular ship... This we, is why you're still a cadet? Yeah, and um, we had to room together. And so, I spent way too much time in close quarters with this guy, you know, in the middle of the ocean, nothing to do. I'm, I'm, there's uh, some screws are starting to loosen, you know. And um, I'll never forget, it was so funny, because the littlest things started to just absolutely drive me crazy. And, you know, I don't know why, I can't explain it, but... Uh, I'll, I'll never forget he had this pair of work boots and every day he would put on these pair of work boots and it, it, they had laces they were like combat boots with laces but they had zippers on the side as well well I don't know a, a month ago or something the zippers had broken and so they you know kind of stayed together mm-hmm. but not well what's he going to do it's not like there's a shoe store in the middle of the ocean you got to use what you have right but something about it just looking at these boots and they started to just irk me and irk me a little more and just why is he wearing these you know broken ass boots and you know and one day I, I just snapped and like you know why don't you get a new pair of fucking shoes Andy you know that stupid broken zipper it doesn't even make sense and, and he was like so baffled you know was like, what do you want me to do I <laughs> bet you feel like a real asshole in hindsight <laughs> and I I'd watched you know we because we were cadets we'd wake up at the same time you know he'd eat his food and there's something about the way he ate his cereal really drove me crazy <laughs> sound like a married couple yeah well i mean it had i mean there's you you start to lose it a little bit out there you know and that's you know that was my first encounter and so that comes back to why people have sea stories you know i mean you're looking out the window you're bored you know i you just did you really see that mm. was you know um the green flash that's one of the things you know is it real was i just staring at the sun too long what green flash the green flash you know like when the sun you're in the middle of the ocean, and that moment right when the sun dips below the horizon for a split second, the whole horizon flashes green. Bullshit. I've seen it. No, it's not bullshit. I've seen it. <laughs> or at least I think I've yeah. seen it. I convinced myself I saw it. I'm I'm pretty fucking sure I saw it. Uh, but, you know, it's not... It's, I wasn't filming. I don't have it on camera. But, you know, I, I distinctly remember looking out the window, and I had been, I had been like, weeks I had been looking, because I, I worked a time every day the sun went down and I'm convinced I saw it you know one day I'm convinced I saw it did I I don't know does it matter no it's a good story I tell people I saw the green flash okay it's part about you know Fair salty enough. sailor I think you're full of shit though yeah. 
All right. So tell me about the. Uh, I know you've got a couple of good stories from uh, working down in Brazil. I, I want. I want to hear you tell these sea stories about working down in Brazil. Well, so the first time <clears throat> I went to Brazil, I was working for a company. This is. I'm. I'm an officer now. I've been. I've been. Uh. You know, working as like a third mate for a while now, a year or so, and. I got this job with this company, and um, so they they got me. No, they they didn't get me credentialed. They they were gonna try and get me credentialed for working in Brazil, but all of a sudden they needed someone in Brazil right then, um, and it was Carnival. And so I found out later that the the office in Brazil tried to convey the fact that it didn't matter even if they sent someone because it was Carnival. And as I came to find out. During Carnival in Brazil, the country shuts down. I'm talking federal police, everything. The country shuts down. Everybody goes on vacation. Yeah, there's you're not getting anything done. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. They're partying. It's it's Carnival, and so the you know one of the few things that still operates is the flights. You know, so they, people can still come into mm-hmm. you know country on airplanes, but. That doesn't mean you're going to pass federal police when you get there, because guess what? It's carnival. They just tell you to fuck off. Uh, basically, so the the U.S. office didn't understand that, and the ship literally couldn't go to work because they were short one officer, and it's a, a whole COI, you know, you have to have a certain number of personnel to work. And so they were just stuck at anchor until they could get me there. And so I show up in the country... I'd never been to Brazil. I don't know the first thing about Brazil. And I fly into Rio de Janeiro and that's they sort of proceed to tell me like there's no federal police. I can't I can't get my documentation. I can't get my my visa signed. And so what ends up happening is the first night I'm there with all my coworkers and um so we we go out. It's Carnival in Rio de Janeiro. Before you even go to the ship, you go out to Carnival. Yeah, well, they, you know, it was the crew was changing over, and um, they they flew us in a day early, you know, because you're flying on to the other side of the world, and so you get there, you sleep in a hotel. First thing in the morning, you go to the ship. Well, it was Carnival, so everybody went out partying. There's Brazilian crew members. There's fellow American crew members, and uh, so the Brazilians took us out to. You know, one of the most happening places in Rio de Janeiro. It's called Lapa. So Lapa is one of the famous places in Rio de Janeiro. It's got this big sort of aqueduct thing. They do big concerts there. Um, it's got some famous stairs and, you know, restaurants around it and stuff. And so during Carnival, Lapa is one of the places they have huge concerts. And, you know, there's these beer vendors everywhere and, you know, it's, so everybody's it's, just partying twenty four hours a day. Pretty much. How I many mean, days does during, it last? Uh, it's it's like Mardi Gras, but um, I think Carnival proper is like four or five days. It's basically one week, and um, you know, it, it's the end of Mardi Gras is where it you know it's the same sort of holiday. So uh, it's it's basically the Portuguese Mardi Gras, right? And okay. um, fair enough. So anyways, they, they take us out, and we're partying. There's a concert. It's incredible. You can get a whole tall boy beer for like 10 cents. Oh, that's I don't dangerous. Know, I'm, I'm living high on the hog. And so me and uh, my other American buddies, you know, we're having a great time. There's beautiful women. There's like good music. You can't understand it, but it's good. You know, and you like the way they're dancing. Mm-hmm. And Well, 
Like the way they were dancing, huh? I find this out later, but apparently part of carnival tradition in Brazil also is that for some reason cross-dressing is like a totally normal and accepted thing. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I, I think they're generally a little more tolerant of that anyways, you know, just during the rest of the year. But okay. especially during carnival, even like totally straight men dress up and drag. Yeah, it's, it's and hard to tell the it, difference. It can or? be. It can be very hard to tell. As not me, but one of my coworkers would come to find out. Okay. So, you know, we've been drinking and having fun for a while, and we meet these girls. And so this one particular girl that I'm dancing with uh, speaks really good English. She's clearly, she's a college student. She's, you know, taking quite a bit of English classes. And she's there with her two sisters. I'm doing air quotes right now. Sisters. <laughs> one of them was a sister. So... My other two buddies, they're dancing and having fun, and, you know, we're drinking, and we're having caparinas, and uh, next thing you know, uh, you know, we're, we're kissing, we're having, we're having a good time, and uh, so the, I see my one buddy, Alex, and uh, Alex is, uh, he, he became, went, went on to become one of my best friends, but uh, oh, oh, Alex is, you know, really making out with this, this Brazilian, mm, they're just going to town. air quotes, girl. Um, and so this girl looks at me, the girl I've been talking to, and she goes, ooh, your friend really likes my brother. And I just, just all stop. And I, I, I kind of cocked my head and I go, excuse me, your, your brother? And she goes, oh, no, I mean, um, my sister, bad English. And I was like, no, your English is perfectly fine. <laughs> and I, I started looking and looking. I'm, I'm, I'm a little, you know, buzzed, yeah. but... It's becoming the picture's becoming clear here, you know. It's uh, eh. your buddy's dancing with a tranny. Oh, not just dancing. And so uh, old Alex decides he's ready to go back to the apartment. And uh, so you know, hey, let's get a cab. Let's get a cab. Oh, and uh, yeah. John, you know, John's ready to go too. And uh, you know, I I start to you know, I'm I'm. You're suspicious. Well, no, I'm 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 laughing on the inside. I because it's a funny. Did you story. tell your buddy? I, I instantly knew it was a funny story, and I wanted it to be even funnier story. But but you know he was going to find out one way or the other. Hey guys, my coworker fucked a dude. That's hilarious. <laughs> so before we got in the taxi, I told him I said, "Hey, hey, Alex, you know maybe this isn't such a good idea." And I was torn. I didn't want to shatter the guy's world and you know tell him you've been you know making out with a dude. But at the same time, I didn't want him to go any farther. Right. So I was, I was trying to like come up with excuses and make it not happen. And, uh, so, well, they, they did get in the cab and, um, so we're, we're going somewhere and, uh, old Alex sort of finally figures it out cause he's trying to get a little handsy and, uh, the, the hands aren't, you know, accepted mm. well. And he, uh, so finally I sort of, I was like, Hey Alex, I don't think this is a good idea. I think you should stop. And, um. I think he sort of put two and two together, and there's like the the moment of like mm. sheer horror. I think when it it sort of clicked, and um, we we didn't talk about it for a while. I think he's like he he was hoping that that's not what I was trying to. Yeah, but tell he, him. he he was planning on you not telling anybody. Well, and I didn't. You know, I mean, out of respect for him, I I didn't. And you know, well, John John knew he was the other guy with us, but uh, <laughs> years later, I I we were on a, another trip. And we were drunk, 
and I, I started making fun of him about it, and it, it was it was funny then. Did he whip your ass? No, no, but it wasn't funny at the time, but it's a f- hilarious story. So he's yeah. making out with a tranny, yeah. you know, and <laughs> I'll never forget that. She said, oh, your friend really likes my brother. <laughs> Poor Alex. Definitely. So what do you think the best, if, if you've got any young American seafarers <clears throat> that are going down to Brazil during Carnival, you think they should give them the old, uh, the old uh, one-two crotch check? <laughs> Just uh, well, go straight for the goods? If, if you've been drinking, just take a minute and really squint your eyes and, you know, give it a once-over and, you know. And if you like dudes, that's cool, too. Whatever. <laughs> Keep on grabbing. So, <laughs> what made that trip so great was, so I, I, they all went to work the next day, but I couldn't get, you know, my information validated by the federal police. And so, I actually had to sit on the beach for the rest of Carnival. And so, here I am, you know, in wow. Brazil... And, you know, I, I, I didn't get to enjoy it quite as much as I would have after working in Brazil for years. Mm-hmm. But, I you know, I mean, it's hard not to have a blast when you're in Carnival uh, yeah. in Rio de Janeiro for a week, you know. And, and so, I mean, it was incredible. They put me up at this hotel on the beach, and I would just go down to the beach, and there was live music and parades. And, I mean, it was, I, what a hell of an experience. And to be getting paid the whole time. I mean, it was really incredible. And then, hey, when Carnival ended, the federal police office opened up. They gave me my you little got stamp, stamp. And, well, party Voila. over. I had to go to work. <laughs> that's too funny. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, that's a hell of a way to start your career down in Brazil, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about almost wrecking this, this ship into, into the cliffs. Well, I want to say I didn't almost wreck it, but... I was the guy at the helm when things went sideways, but so I, this was after I'd been on this ship, you know, I worked on this same ship that, you know, I went there for the first time for, for what kind of ship was it? Tell us about that. Oh, that doesn't matter. It was a, you know, it was a, it was like an oil field. It was uh, a ship. Underwater construction repair ship. Yeah. It was cool. It had like robots and divers and cranes and all sorts of stuff. But, um, that's not, you know, that's not what makes going to sea interesting. It's. The it's stuff. not the robots or yeah, the divers. It's the stuff it's... in between. <laughs> and so... It's the trainees. So I had been on this ship for a couple of years. And so the the captains on this ship weren't particularly qualified. And, you know, this ship had some of the most high-tech equipment that exists in the maritime industry. And these guys had very little training on it. You know, they were sort of old timers that had been captains. And when this new badass ship was produced, they just took some of their old time, you know, trusted, tried and true captains and stuck them on here. From the Gulf of Mexico. Sure. But that what that doesn't necessarily translate into, you know, being capable of managing this all of a sudden, you know, $180 million uh, ship. Um, and so... There's a lot of electronics, and so sort of the protocol was, um, you, you know, you'd be on autopilot, and as you get close to shore, <clears throat> you switch over from autopilot to manual control, and, you know, you're steering by hand controls instead of autopilot. <clears throat> and so this one port where we crew changed at, it was called Ariel de Cabo. It's kind of this little fishing town. There was one little dock. You know, mostly it was a harbor with fishing boats and tour guide boats. Absolutely gorgeous. Crystal clear blue water. The scuba diving there was incredible. 
And I mean, it was just like a, it was a tourist destination for Brazilians as well. And here we are on this dirty ship pulling in here. So to get into Ariel de Cabo though, you have to go through these, you know, this mountain pass and it's pretty tight. It's, you know, probably a quarter mile wide and it's, you know, it's deep water, but all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's marked by not just like a sandy bank, it's rocky mountains that just protrude from the water and it's it's like Boom, a, if you fuck up you're gonna run into the something of out of game of thrones you know and like you got to steer between them and then it opens up into this you know this pretty harbor and um so we're we're approaching we're coming close you know we're we're making pretty good speed and so i'm at the helm and i swap over per protocol i follow protocol um and i swap over from autopilot to hand well here's the thing this is a really complicated electronic system and sometimes it gets glitchy. And so it glitched and it removed itself from autopilot but then like sort of locked itself and it wouldn't go into any other control. No, There was no controls. And so, you know, like an airline pilot, we're trained. Could you vary the speed? <clears throat> no, no, there was no control. But like an airline pilot, we're trained in progression. So if this goes wrong, this is what you do next. This is what you do next. Try this button, flip this switch. And so I started going through my progressions. I tried the non-follow-up, which is like the, you know, the override manual control. Nothing's working. There's some major, you know, electronic glitch here. And I don't know what it is. At this point, I look over at the captain. I go, hey, captain, we got a problem. And, uh, you know, his his face is kind of like shocked. And, well, what's the problem? He walks over and I, you know, I explain what I've done, the progressions I've gone through. And he's uh, he's stunned because this captain... Well, he hadn't trained like I have. He doesn't understand the system like I have. And that's not saying, like, I'm some super smart guy. This is, you know, the the other officers on there had it. It was just these captains. They were old timers. They didn't really know what they were doing. And so it's me up there. I'm the only other officer other than the master, the captain. And so he is, like, shocked. And he, he sort of he freezes. Doesn't do. He doesn't know what to do. And he tries what I've already tried, and it doesn't work. And, uh... You know, he, he sort of panics. And so, you know, I, I asked him, Captain, would you like me to stand by the anchor? That is the logical next step for, you know, if, if you've lost control of the ship and you're, you know, oh, by the way, the wind is howling between these mountain passes and we're veering off quickly to crash into this mountain. Like, it's it's coming pretty quick. And, uh, you know, it, it we were we were splitting the gap. How many yards away would you with. say it was? I mean, we're maybe... I don't know. We're we're maybe like a tenth of a mile away at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, hey, captain, that's pretty fucking close. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's close. And um, you know, would would you like me to stand by the anchor? And he just uh, 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 no. You know, and no. What what kind of? That's the logical next thing. Is it's better to drop the anchor and stop the momentum and you know figure stuff Slow out it down. than crash into a rocky mountain. But oh, you know, he's the boss. And so I'm standing there and I'm watching. He's panicking. We're getting closer. And closer and closer, and he's just he keeps trying the same things, and they didn't work the first three times. Why are they going to work the first fourth time? You know, and so I just happened to remember what one of the technicians had showed me, uh, uh, like the week or two weeks before, and so I, you know, it's it like a light switch went off in my head, and I, said, I know what to do, and I, I ran, you know, to the electronics room, a floor below, and I did a hard reboot, you know, kind of like with a computer, you would just okay. pull the power cord and 
you know, it turn it off and turn it back on. Basically, yeah. And um sure enough, you know, I turned it back on and about, you know, thirty seconds later they come whirring back and well guess what? All of a sudden we have control you know, we have control and so the captain gets gets the ship under control, you know, right before we sort of smash into this he, he you know, changes course to get us back towards the middle and he's just standing there stunned. And I come back up, you know, and he looks at me and he goes, You saved us. So he acknowledged. That's all he ever said. He yeah. acknowledged the fact that you saved the never ship. Never said any, never said another word about it. That's all he said. No report, nothing. Nope, nothing. And, uh, you know, it was like just him and I there. Nobody else ever knew it happened. Nobody else, you know, I mean, I, I didn't go around like repeating the story a whole lot to my coworkers, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just. <laughs> Do you think he incredible. told anybody else? No, he was embarrassed. He was that, so embarrassed. He yeah, he's, that's what was going on there is he was embarrassed, uh, you know, that he didn't know what to do and that he froze under the pressure. And mm. uh, that's, one of, that's one of those times, you know, that's one of the few times in my career where I've had the opportunity to be the, the hero. Know, the hero. Well, that's a damn good sea story right there, man. Damn good sea story. Is it true? You don't know, but <laughs> that's the point of a good sea story. Uh, so tell me about uh, a question that, you know, I always wonder about. What is the worst weather you've ever been in at sea? <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, any, any sailor that spends a lot of time in the middle of the ocean has probably seen some pretty bad weather. That's part of it. Um, not even just, like, hurricane weather. Do you get seasick? You get, you, get, um, you get bad weather just time to time. A low pressure comes through, you know, the wind's howling for... A couple days on end, you you know the waves get up twenty thirty feet. That's not uncommon, um, you know. And and there's particular like when you're driving into them. For me, it's not nearly as bad as you know other particular motions. When um, I worked on a, a, a tanker and we drove from uh, Cherry Point, Washington, to San Francisco delivering gasoline, and the waves almost always came you know, from the West. And, um, what that meant is, is we were driving up and down the coast. We were always catching them on our beam. And so we always had this roll going on and sometimes it would be really bad, you know? And I mean, you're rolling side to side and, you know, sometimes it's like really drastic and it just, it, you can't sleep. You, you can hardly walk down the hallway without, you know, being up on the wall and then on the other side of the wall. And it's it, it just absolutely miserable. So that is way worse than going straight into them where you're just, you know, the front of the ship is going up and down. Uh, but so talking about getting seasick, there there is, I do, there's a particular motion that will get me seasick when it's bad enough. Um, and it's not, you know, for me getting seasick, it's, it's like, it's just a motion thing. It is what it is, you yeah. know, and it's something I learned to deal with. It wasn't a big deal. It didn't affect my my work at all you learn how to you know to get through it but it was, there was a particular motion that would you know would mess with me and it was it's almost like a toilet bowl motion when you're doing this yeah. rolling and so what happens is you have um swells hitting you from the quarter which means you know the back end of the ship the stern it's hitting you like off to the side of you know one of the sides and it it causes the stern of the ship to lift the ship to rock one way, the bow to come down, the ship to rock the other way, and then back, and so on. And it makes a 
like a, a toilet bowl rolling motion. And that is the motion that, you know, given enough time, it'll start to get to me. Yeah. And, um, oh man, then, you know, it, and it just happens sometimes, but it, it it's miserable when that does happen. Yeah. Some people get seasick. This, this is what I believe. Some people get seasick. Some people don't. It's just, it, you know, just because you get seasick doesn't make you a, a, a bad mariner. It just, true, you know, true. it is what it is. You know, I used to always take a lot of, uh, Bonine. Not Dramamine. Dramamine will fuck my world up. I get so sleepy when I take Dramamine. I can't even work. But Bonine, I pop a Bonine in the morning as soon as I wake up. Never used to get seasick whenever I took one Bonine every day. But, um, yeah, that... So, so, uh, so to get back to your original question, the, the worst weather... Yeah, what's it? So everybody's seen bad weather. The, the worst weather I ever saw was we were coming back from the Middle East... And we were off the east coast of the U.S. And this was back in uh, 2011, maybe. And there was two hurricanes out there at one time. And there was one hurricane that had kind of, you know, just stayed in the North Atlantic and was going off to to sort of die. And there was another uh, active hurricane coming in, you know, further below that. And the thing about these ships is, you know, you're on a deadline. You can only waste so much time. And get so delayed before you start getting in trouble by, you know, the company because you're you're missing deadlines. They're getting sure dinged, and so the captain decided the best course of action was to steer between these two hurricanes. Mm. And so I'm on this car ship, this giant floating shoebox. That's exactly how that El Faro went down and um, in tote ship. So so we're we're going between these two hurricanes, and so dealing with one hurricane is bad enough, but since there was two. Um, we're dealing with sort of confused seas because, you know, the one hurricane's making the waves move a certain way. The other one's making, you know, waves and swells move a different direction. And when they crash into one another, it makes the seas confused. And, um, I mean, they were huge. It was storming, terrible weather. I, the, the seas had to have been, you know, 35, 40 foot. And, I mean, it is just... You can't function. You can't do anything. You're, you know, let alone like, you know, keep yourself positive that, you know, we're not going to sink and die. You know, I mean, it is just, it was scary. (laughs) And I'll never forget one of, uh, you know, after a couple days of this, we were just sitting around the galley table, you know, trying to eat what you could. And one of the officers just sort of snapped me. You know, I, I fucking hate this ship, this stupid floating shoebox <laughs> from the middle of hurricanes. This is, you know, and I, that always stuck with me, you know, the, the stupid floating shoebox. And, you know, that, that was a perfect <laughs> description for it. So tell me about the C6 steak dinner story, since we're on the topic. <laughs> well, the thing about these ships is, um, you know, they, the union contracts, they have it in there that on particular days you get steak. Some days you get lobster. Well, I really like steak night. And uh, I wasn't going to miss it, period. And so it was bad weather. You know, we're rolling. It's that particular motion. You're feeling I don't seasick. Care. I don't care. I'm eating my steak. And so I did. I went down there. I ate a, a full ribeye. I had a couple rolls, you know, a baked potato, a sweet potato. I don't remember. And I'm, you know, oh, I was, I was happy, full belly. But guess what? I wasn't feeling good. But I had my steak dinner. And uh, threw it all up. I proceeded to make my way back to the cabin. And I just... Instantly, yeah, threw it all right back up. Just blah. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It was just you know, it was so dumb. Like a Roman vomitorium. 
So there's <laughs> there's another story I want to ask you about. So you told me one time about you and your buddy Andy, I think, down in New Orleans. And y'all did not have cash, no debit card, something like that. Somebody lost a wallet. Well, I don't know. I, I vaguely remember this C story, and uh, I want to hear it again. Hey, hey. I don't know if we should use names, uh, uh, particular venues. I, I don't know if they still have our, our picture on the wall looking for us. I don't know. but uh, Come on. It's New Orleans, man. Short yeah, memory. Yeah, that's true. It, yeah. I'm sure it's happened, you know, you see this shit all the 50 time. times a day. Well, it, and I mean, it was only partially our fault. I would partially. say 50% our fault, 25% the, you know, the bank's fault, and, uh, you know, probably 25% the waitress's fault, you know. Um, so, we had been out, we're, we're getting off the Noble Star, the Death Star, we had been at sea for months, uh, we're pretty grisly at this point, and keep in mind, I'm, I think maybe 19 at this point. I don't know. Maybe so I. So you have no business drinking anyway. Maybe You're I had underage. a birthday in there, but yeah, the drinking age is definitely 21 here in the states. I mean, over in Africa, it was do whatever you want. But so I'll never forget. Um, we we went out drinking, and um, I, we just got served everywhere. I mean, it, like they didn't even card, or you know, it wasn't a big deal. And, yeah, it's I mean, New Orleans. And you know, Andy looked like a you know grown ass man. And I guess they just assumed, hey, I'm with that guy. So. Um, <laughs> So anyways, we're out drinking, having fun, and, uh, you know, we progressively we're going through the night, you know. Well, what we didn't know is that um, the bank that we both had had some sort of issue where they reissued our cards. And so um, we had some cash on us, and then we, in our minds, we had our credit cards. Well, apparently they had reissued our credit cards, and they didn't work anymore. And so... And, and the bank we were with, you know, we had our debit cards with them too. So, you know, obviously in our minds, we could just get more cash. We could use our credit cards. Um, and so we didn't take a huge payoff when we got off the ship. You know, we just were going out to have fun for the evening. And so we went out, we're drinking, you know, we're, we're buying beers and shots. And um, we're, we're out at this one live uh, music place. And... Uh, we it's crowded it's really crowded and out of the blue a waiter walks up with some beers and he goes here these are beers and i go where do they come from and he goes oh from that guy over there he ordered them for you and i look around and you know i don't who 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 the hell and i'm kind of drunk so you know i don't know what you're talking about whatever free beer and so we drink the beer and the band's playing and you know woo whatever we so we go on to the next place and so the next place is like this uh sort of western saloon they do the the jello shots and all this so love those places so we get there and this waitress is just feeding us drinks and so andy uh run finally runs out of cash i had already run out of cash you know and so andy goes uh you know let me let me go get some more cash and so he goes to the atm in the back but i it wasn't working right it wasn't gonna work as we came to find out but he assumed it was the atm so he leaves the place to go somewhere else so in the meantime this waitress sees easy targets and she's like, she just keeps serving them to me. You know, she's putting them between her boobs and, you know, yeah, here, whew, here's another no, yeah. shot. And, you know, woo, have another, and one for me. And I'm like, yeah, one for you. And woo, she does one. And I'm like, woo, we're having a great time. And she's like, is your buddy coming back? And I was like, well, I'm sure he's coming back. And she's like, okay, well, here, have some more. And then I started, I was like, wow, you know, maybe we should wait. And she's like, no, he's coming back. Here, have another one. And I was, woo. Damn, and in her mind, so, she is racking it up. Next thing you know... She's she's 
her and I have, you know, imbibed quite a bit and she's starting to get ready to get paid. Well, old Andy, no sight of Andy. So she, you know, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should find your friend. And I, yeah, maybe we should find my friend. You know, where's he at? So we kind of walk around the bar. I don't see him. And um, she's like, well, where'd he go? And I was like, I don't know. And I was like, he must have gone next door for the ATM. And she's like, well, you're not going to run out on me, are you? And I was like, no. Like, in my mind, why would I run out on her? We're having a great time. I'm coming yeah. back. I'm going to do some more jello shots. And uh, so I walk out. And about that time, I see Andy walking towards me. And he goes, man, my debit card won't work. My credit card won't work. Oh, shit. And I'm like, uh-oh. What do we do? And y'all are still in the same bar? Well, we're out front of it now, you know? And he's like, what do we do? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, we got to go. And I was like, we got to go. And so we take off. Holy shit. And we have no money. We're, um, we're, we were like Bourbon Street or something. And we got to get all the way back to the ship. And we don't have any money. So uh, we, we were walking or something. This was before Uber or any of that. And so we get in like a cab. And we ask, you know, oh, we don't have any money. How far can you take us? And the cab, the cab driver, you know, he's like, he just wants to be like, I'll oh, get the hell out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he could tell, you know, we were struggling. And so he just, I guess, felt bad for us, drove us where we needed to go. No shit. I was like, oh, we'll pay you when we get there. And, uh, I, I, I assume we paid the cab driver when we got there. I don't know. But, uh, damn. Yeah, sure enough. You found, so, it, you so found the, the nicest day, cab driver in the city of New Orleans. So, um, the next day, you know, in my mind, we're getting off the ship. I don't have to go to work. Why would I go to work? The only thing we have to do is get off the ship and, you know, fly out. Well, here, seven thirty, eight in the morning, boom, 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 on my door. Yeah. What are you doing? Sleeping? Get your ass up. It's time to go to work. Go to work? You know, what are you talking about? I'm a, you know, I'm a cadet and I'm leaving. What do you need me to go to work for? And, uh, oh, the captain wants to see you down in his office. Oh, oh. shit. Uh, so... You know, I get dressed. I go down to the captain's office and he shut the door. This is that same, you know, sort of asshole captain. Shut the door. I shut the door and he goes, does your mother know? And I go, does my mother know what? Does your mother know that you like to go get drunk underage? <laughs> I was like, what? And he goes, who do you think sent you those beers last night? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, think a little bit harder. How would I? And I was like... Oh, and then it clicked, and I was like, oh, oh, man. Yeah, and then they proceeded to make me go work. He knew we were all hungover and feeling terrible. It was the hot sun. Oh, he sent us out there, and oh, man, it was miserable. I had a captain teach me a a story. Well, teach me a big-time lesson uh, similar to that. I showed up to a boat, hung hung over like a son of a bitch one time. This guy knew it. He had been a wild man back in his day, and his name was Jim Hatter. And he told me, he said, all right, boy. I want you to go take a shower. I want you to change your clothes, get changed into your work clothes. And you go out there, and I want you, I want you to needle gun all around this day. It was hot. It was like June or July in, in Freeport, Texas, uh, you know, middle of the summertime, sun beating down. I sweated all that stuff out uh, without a problem. Learned a damn good lesson. But, all right, we're out of coffee. And I think you're out of sea stories because <laughs> you're an asshole. So, At least for now. <laughs> uh, basically... I think this is going to wrap up episode number one of the Ship's Log, Sea Stories for the Record. So my name is JB, and uh, this is Captain Nemo, and we are signing out.
Thank you for listening. I sure do appreciate it. And big shout out to my wife for all of this uh, wonderful podcasting equipment. Uh, Thank you so much, Sarah.